0: Mexic Clinical Pearls. Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to another episode of Mexic Clinical Pearls. Uh, my name's John and we've got Jack with us today. Hello there. Uh, today we'll be just talking through two common situations on the ward uh, tachycardia and hypotension. And we'll discuss what calling a MET call in this kind of situation means and what your role should be as a junior doctor.
1: So, John, when we hit the wards as an intern, Will really be expected to know when to escalate and call for help if a patient is deteriorating, and also some of the basic things to do before senior medical staff from a MET call team come.
0: Yeah, I guess when we're as medical students, it can all seem a bit chaotic from afar if we ever do get to see a MET call. So, I guess just for people who aren't familiar, Jack, uh, what is a MET call?
1: So, a MET call is where the medical emergency team in the hospital comes to assess and acutely manage any patient that any staff member has clinical concern for. The team typically consists of an ICU doctor and a nurse with a medical registrar. The idea is to call a met call if the patient reaches a certain clinical criteria, say if their heart rate, respiratory rate or systolic blood pressure becomes too high or too low, if their saturations drop too much, if their conscious state suddenly drops The actual clinical criteria changes from hospital to hospital, but the idea is essentially the same. Yeah, and I guess if you're the only intern on the ward, uh, you've called the Met, uh,
0: while you won't be expected to run the actual Met call and be a cowboy, uh, there'll still be some time before the team actually arrives uh, where you can get the ball rolling. So in this podcast, we'll just go through some of the key considerations of what to do as an intern during a Met call.
1: So we'll start off with the case. We have a 70-year-old woman, day three post-hemiarthroplasty, for right and off fracture, um, and has a blood pressure of 95 on 50. You're page to go see the patient. What do you do, John? Yep, so uh, I
0: guess the first thing to do, uh, in my mind, is to have the right questions ready to assess how serious the situation is. Uh, so obviously, an abnormality in vital signs is potentially serious, uh, it's not like a page for constipation or a page saying uh, that the patient stubbed their toe. Uh, so the first, the first thing I would do is give the person, usually the nurse, uh, a call and ask what the other vitals are doing um, and characterize how long this issue has been going on for. Uh, so has her hypotension happened acutely, or has it kind of stayed that way post-op? Um, and a lot of the time, these patients with shock, especially younger patients will present with tachycardia earlier than they present with hypotension because of their compensatory mechanism. Uh, So I want to know their heart rate and a few of the other vital signs. So if they're tachypneic, that could indicate that the patient's in shock or metabolic acidosis, or they might have like a cardiorespiratory etiology for their presentation. Um, Or if the patient has a temperature, that's pretty suspicious for sepsis or like septic shock. So
1: I'd want to know the other vital signs so John, uh, in this situation, the nurse very helpfully tells you over the phone that the heart rate is 110, her respiratory rate is 24, she has a temperature of 37.4, and her oxygen saturations are at 95%. This has only just happened while the patient was lying in bed. Her blood pressure usually sits at 150 on 90.
0: Okay, so it seems like she is acutely hypotensive and a bit tachycardic. And this is a little bit concerning because she's usually hypertensive uh, with a systolic blood pressure of 150. So I'll definitely go to the patient's bedside immediately uh, and make sure that the patient's notes are nearby um, and ask the nurse to initiate some basic investigations uh, like doing an ECG and blood sugar level. I think most of the time uh, when we're first on the scene, those are always cheap and easy to do and give us a lot of really good information. And then I want to look at the patient. Uh, This is really important, I think, uh, to actually see if the patient looks unwell. Um, Are they drowsy? Do they look clammy and pale? Do they look like they're in distress or they're in pain? So, those are the things I would look for. And so, our patient's vitals aren't really in the METCOL criteria yet. uh, But something else to know is that uh, clinical concern is also part of the call criteria. So I would consider uh, actually calling a call in this situation.
1: Now, to assess the patient, it's useful to use a structure. I like to think uh, of going through A, B, C, D, E. So first off, we'll start off with the airway. You want to assess if it's patent, and you can usually confirm this by seeing if the patient's talking. Secondly, you want to see if the patient is breathing um, and in particular, if they have any distress or any excessive work of breathing. And you can also correlate this with their respiratory rate or their oxygen saturations. If they were hypoxic, you'd start them on supplemental oxygen via a Hudson mask. Thirdly, we want to look at circulation, in particular, looking at their pallor and perfusion. We'll feel their peripheries for warmth and coolness, feel their pulse, and we'll also correlate this with their heart rate and blood pressure. For our patient here, This will be an important section to think about. Under circulation, you want to start to think about the investigations and interventions you want to do. If the patient isn't lying down, we'll lie the patient down and see if their blood pressure improves. We'll get a large bore IV cannula and take bloods while you're there. Usually we'll get an FBE, UEC and a blood gas. VBG will usually suffice in this situation. The main things we want to look for here are the hemoglobin in case of blood loss, the lactate in case of shock, and also the creatinine and urea in case of acute kidney injury. If you do suspect blood loss, for example if there is a hematoma at the surgical site, you will do a cross match. And with IV access, you can start to give a 500ml normal saline bolus. If they have heart failure, you can start with a 250ml bolus instead.
0: Yeah, and before we go on, just with these blood tests that we're talking about, um, I mean, FB, UEC, VBG, that's uh, quite reasonable uh, and standard. But if we're still concerned about shock, then we can consider doing things like LFTs um, or coagulation studies if we're worried about uh, DIC or end organ damage. Um, or if the patient, for example, has chest pain, uh, we might do things like troponin levels perhaps a D-dimer if you want, but obviously this patient is post-op, so we probably wouldn't. But uh, I think still, most of the time, we just opt for a FBUEC VBG uh, and consider uh, other add-ons uh,
1: if necessary. So, John, if we keep going with our ABCDE mnemonic, we've done our ABC bit, which is the most important part. Now we start to think about disability and environment. So for disability, we want to think about if the patient is maintaining their conscious state, and we will also want to double-check that the BGL and the ECG has been done for the patient. For environment, we really want to look um, at the uh, situation itself and just see what's going on. So before this point, we've gone through the ABCD, we've done some basic investigations, we've double-checked their vital signs, and now you want to do a focused examination and assessment of the patient. Yeah, so I guess in our case, so we've sent off the FBUEC vbg
0: Her sugar levels and ECG are normal. She just has a sinus tachycardia. You look at the ECG, there's no ST elevation, no T-wave inversion, no poor R-wave progression, no right heart strain, and the amplitude and voltage of the waves look normal. So in other words, there's no immediately concerning features of a STEMI or massive PE or pericardial effusion. And so now after these A, B, C, D, E steps, uh, we put on our medical thinking hat and hopefully at this point, the Metcall team has actually arrived or they're kind of trickling in. At this stage, we can still be really helpful as an intern, uh, even though they've come in and they're kind of taken over. Uh, at this point, we want to think about the three Cs. So the three Cs are care, call, and clarify. So with care what we're thinking about is goals of care, or as some people call it, the resuscitation status. Uh, So this is really crucial to know. They may not even be for resuscitation. Uh, They may only be for ward management. Uh, They may only want certain interventions done for them. Uh, So this is where you go on EMR or find the patient file, uh, depending on the hospital you're in, and look for their goals of care. And then the second thing you want to do is think about call, So usually you want to give the home team a call, but under call here, we've also put in call for imaging. So calling the radiographer or calling the blood bank. But essentially as an intern, uh, you are the ward's administrator (laughs) essentially. So uh, pick up the phone and think about who to call. Um, So usually you should give your senior a call. Usually it will be a reg. And if the patient is, Obviously in respiratory distress, then organize a portable x-ray machine to be brought up for a chest x-ray on the ward. And calling the blood bank, that's usually when the patient has had a hemorrhage and you want to get blood quickly onto the ward. You can either get O- negative blood if you want it immediately, or if you have a couple of hours, then you can order a cross-match. Okay, so that's call. And then the third thing is clarify. So under here, what we mean by clarify is you want to clarify the history uh, clarify their medications that they're on, uh, maybe have a look at their fluid balance chart. But essentially, what you're doing here is looking at their file. Okay, so we have a quick look, see if the patient has any pertinent past medical history, the medications they're on. So, if we think about our patient, uh, maybe they have Parkinson's disease or poorly controlled diabetes leading to autonomic neuropathy. Uh, maybe they just got started on a medication. A day ago or an hour ago, uh, and if it was very recent, maybe they're having an anaphylactic reaction, or maybe they got given opioids or antihypertensives, and this has all caused her blood pressure to drop. Or maybe if we look at their fluid balance chart, they've pretty much been having no fluid intake, or they've been diuresed So, these tidbits of information are really helpful for when the MET team arrives. So, have a look at their chart have a look at their medications, and clarify their past medical history.
1: Okay, John. So now, in this situation, the MET team arrives. They come up to you and ask, so what's going on? What would you say now? Okay, so I guess it can be a pretty daunting situation, uh, but I imagine
0: the best thing to do is to stick to a super succinct ISBAR. Uh, So ISBAR being you identify yourself and the patient... Uh, And then you tell the team what the situation is, and then any relevant background, Uh, and then you tell them what your assessment has been so far, and what you've done. So that's identify, situation, background, assessment, and recommendation. So this is all super fast. So I might say, um, if I'm not sweating my pants off, (laughs) uh, hi, I'm John, I'm the author intern. Uh, This is Jill, she's a 70-year-old woman. We've called a Met call for hypotension to 95 on 50. She's day three post-hemiarthroplasty for a right knee fracture. Uh, on assessment, she's cool and tachycardic. No signs of hematoma or bleeding at the surgical site. I've given 500 mils of saline uh, and her blood pressure has slightly improved now to 100 on 65.
1: Great. So the Met team takes over from here. You breathe a sigh of relief, and you blend into the wallpaper like we've been used to doing for the past three years of our lives. After giving some more fluid, Jill's blood pressure and heart rate start to normalise. The med has a listen of her heart and lungs, and it seems to be clear. There's no signs of pulmonary edema, and she examines well. It turns out that she was just a bit dry post-op. The med tells Jill to drink up, and you feel like being a hero for being useful. Okay, so we'll think about hypotension and shock. Uh, some causes of hypotension
0: to think about would be uh, chronic, or some people call it constitutional hypotension, dehydration, uh, drug-induced, orthostatic or autonomic hypotension, or like a vasovagal attack. So these are pretty common, and you can usually pick that up on their history or their medication chart. But some serious causes of hypotension or shock would be hemorrhage, anaphylaxis, arrhythmias, a cardiac tamponade, tension pneumothorax, septic shock, cardiogenic shock, or like acute pulmonary edema, or a submassive or massive PE, or an adrenal crisis. And so you'll realize that even though there's a lot of differentials here that we have to think about at the back of our minds, the initial steps of ABCDE are still the same. Whether you're the intern, or even if you are the MET team, it's all the same airway breathing circulation and then thinking about disability and then environment and doing a proper evaluation and then after this it's good practice as the intern to check back on the patient in half an hour or an hour or so sometimes uh, you will be asked a document so jack can you tell us what you might write down if you were asked a document
1: essentially just write down the reason for the met call for example hypertension at 95 on 50 what you did in this situation it was a 500 mil bolus followed by one liter of normal saline with improvement in blood pressure Uh, and also some differentials considered we want to write down the investigations and management we've done and the subsequent plan that the team came up with for example 15 minute observations for the next hour and also the people notified usually the icu liaison nurse involved will also write a note too All right, so let's do another
0: case. Um, We've gone through this structure of A, B, C, D, E, and the three C's that we can do. So let's apply that to another short scenario. Uh, Let's say you had a 76-year-old man admitted to GenMed with an infective exacerbation of COPD, and he's got a resting heart rate of 110.
1: So you're paid to go assess the patient. What do you do? So John, as before, I'd call the person who paged me and ask for the other vitals and get an ECG done before I arrive. I'd have a quick read of the patient's notes and have a think about what's going on. And then I'd go assess the patient, take a history and do an examination. In this situation, some common but non-life-threatening calls of isolated tachycardia I'm thinking about are pain, anxiety, discomfort, dehydration and any uh, sympathomimetic drugs like a beta agonist. But I'm also thinking about more serious causes, like hypoxia from a pulmonary embolism, pneumonia or pneumothorax, tachyarrhythmia, ischemia, sepsis, uh, hypoglycemia, and withdrawal syndromes, especially from alcohol in a hospitalised patient, but also potentially from drugs. So I'd get to the patient and ask how they're feeling. Uh, If they respond appropriately, That would also assure me that their airway is patent and protected. I would continue down the ABCDE and see if they're in any respiratory distress. Then I'd have a feel of their pulse, just to see the volume and rate of a pulse, and if they have a regular rhythm or not. As part of breathing and circulation, I'd also have a listen of their heart and lungs. And at this point, I'd want to do an ECG uh, and BSL. And during all of this, I'm thinking to myself, do I need to escalate this? If they're stable and it's simply an isolated tachycardia, I'd really just take more of a detailed history and examination before considering escalating. Uh, so, just to list some red flags, we'd be thinking about chest pain, shortness of breath, and also pre symptoms like lightheadedness and dipping in conscious state. I'd also want to know if they're having any palpitations. I'd want to find out if they have any significant cardiac history like previous arrhythmias, ischemic heart disease, or if there's any structural heart disease. I'd also want to review their medications just to see if there's anything that could have precipitated the tachycardia. When doing an examination, it would really be targeted to whatever I think is going on. Some general things to look at would be for hydration status, any areas of pain or infection, faecal loading indicating constipation having a listen to their heart and lungs, if you haven't already, and also looking for any signs of DVT. All
0: right, great. So let's say that during your assessment, um, Bob, the patient in the scenario, uh, gets tachypneic and short of breath. He says that he feels more short of breath than usual when he's talking to you. So you go through his vitals again. His heart rate is 130, which is higher than before. And when you feel his pulse, uh, it's an irregular beat. His rest rate is 28, blood pressure is still stable at 110 on 90, temperature is 37, and his oxygen sats are 88%, which is just his usual baseline. So you have a quick listen of his heart sounds and his chest, and that's all clear and all normal, and the ECG comes back, and it shows an irregular rhythm, no P waves, and a narrow QRS complex.
1: So in this situation, it seems like our patient likely has atrial fibrillation. Does he have a known history of AF, or is this new? So you have a quick scan of the medical files. It says that he actually does have
0: paroxysmal AF, for which he takes metoprolol and rivaroxaban, and he's already taken today's doses. You ask him some more questions, and he does say that he's had palpitations today, and it's only come on over the last 30 minutes or so.
1: Aha, so it seems like his infective exacerbation of COPD has likely put him back into his AF. Since I already have clinical concern for his situation and his heart rate is borderline for a met call, I would uh, be happy to call one now. We should still note that he's maintaining his blood pressure and not in any pulmonary edema. Firstly, I'd go through my ABCDE and see if there's anything I can be doing. Airway and breathing seem to be okay for now, so there's no need to give any supplemental oxygen. Uh, since his saturations are at his baseline. Under circulation, I'd also like to take some bloods to look for any reversible causes of his AF. Specifically, uh, UEC and CMP, looking for any electrolyte derangements, especially potassium and magnesium. I'd also do an FBE, TFTs, and probably a troponin too. But I would be double-checking this with the medreg before sending these off.
0: Yeah, and I guess when the team does arrive... Uh, or before they get there we still also want to be thinking about the three c's so um, checking their goals of care seeing if there's you know the home team that we can call up uh, and looking at their charts and their past medical history and clarifying these things as well so if we come back to our case really quick um bob was chemically cardioverted with amiodarone after the Bloods came back, it was found that he had a hypokalemia, and so that was corrected with some uh, mini-bags of potassium chloride. After which, Bob exclaims that he is a new man and feeling much better.
1: Oh, well, that's a good ending to our podcast. There's a lot of things going on in a med call, and as interns and as medical students, we won't be expected to know everything that's going on. But to stick to basic principles... Stay with the A, B, C, D, E and the three Cs and you should be able to be a great help to the team. And as always, thanks for tuning in and all the best for the upcoming exams.